Wrestling fans, this April in Jacksonville, Florida, the Spartan Combat Nationals are returning. Wrestle a different style each day, April 8th through the 10th, 2022, at the Spartan Combat Nationals. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. Now let's get to the show. You know, my whole life, you know, beat, I followed Beat the Streets from afar, just, you know, coming from the wrestling world, knowing what the mission and soul of the organization is, you know, using the sport of wrestling to possibly alter life's trajectory for, for, for youth that, that need us. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. It's Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Ben Ryder. Ben is the executive director for Beat the Streets National. Before that, he lived in Peru for 10 years where he was a professional MMA fighter and a local Peruvian legend, folks. We get into it on the show. This guy has had an incredible journey, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to... Who do we got? Who do we got? Our friend Chase Pammy. A longtime listener of the show, owner of Gold Rush Wrestling. Chase was a two-time D1 All-American back in the day. Chase, thank you so much for the love, my friend. We appreciate it. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Ben Ryder. Peace! Ben Ryder, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. It's really uh, an honor and grateful to be here. Really excited. Let's, let's start in Peru. Is it true that some of your early fights in the, in the cage, in the octagon, used to take place inside like chicken cockfighting rings? Is that, can you confirm or deny that story? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a true story. Yeah, that's, <laughs> How did that's that a true happen? story. It, it's uh, just, I mean, you know, it was, it's not like that's what it was used for at, the, at that moment, but it was there as it was, you know, they, they set up... Um, I feel like, I guess my, my MMA career, I feel like as I started in South America, I kind of got the, um, the experience as if I was starting out maybe 10 or 15 earlier years earlier in the States. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I've been to like, I've done a couple grand prix, like multi, you know, multiple fights in a day. Um, and, and yeah, one of the, one of the places that I would compete in some of my early fights were during another day of the week, there were cockfights going on there. And then on a weekend, <laughs> on a weekend, there was MMA fights going on there. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, yeah, there was warm up areas next to 
um, yeah, you see kind of, it was all cleared out, but you see the, you know, where you see the, the warm-up areas were next to the, the, uh, like where the, the rooster cages and everything like that. So you definitely, you definitely feel the, the presence, but I don't know, at that time, I mean, you're just like, you're so focused on what you're about to do that it doesn't really matter where you are. Um, but they would fill out lots of support, lots of people. Um, and, uh, and, and honestly, you know, with that, like, I just want to always make sure, I'm, you know, there's, I've, I've never felt anything but support and love from, from all the people in Peru. And it was a really great place to start my MMA career and, um, built a, uh, real sense of family down there. I met my, met my wife started my family there. Both my kids were born there. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely got some, got some old school stories in the MMA world for sure. Uh, through that experience, Raleigh did it too, man. I know you had Raleigh on here. He, he had a, well, actually, wait a second. No, actually, I don't know if he did compete in that. In the Rosendale, he might have, he might have had one there. Um, we, we love yeah. Raleigh on this show. He's a, a friend of the show. He, he had a tremendous impact on the final stages of Slang Satiev, and you know he's been a he's a great connector of people. You know he's he's an amazing guy. Oh, he's awesome. Have you read his Have you read his book? Not all the way through. I, I did read it on Kindle, getting ready to interview him, but not all the way through. You're a, a like a saintly figure in the book, though. <laughs> Oh man, I know. Yeah, I, I gotta. I, I I'll I'll owe him thanks for life on that one. But yeah, I know. I was just kind of. Yeah. You know, we we shared that book. We definitely took was was mostly during the time that we were living together in Peru. So I feel forever grateful to him that he kind of captured that that year, um, and it's on paper and published. And it was, uh, you know, he did an uh, amazing job with that, and it was really really cool that he kind of, you know, told his own story and told all of our stories through that process. Yeah, I know that it's such a cool experience that you guys all went down there. I know you were there first and we're going to get into to all of the, the fighting in Peru and what you're doing now with Beat the Streets. But just to start, you know, how did you end up in Peru to begin with after you graduated Penn? You know, so I was, this was, uh, I graduated Penn in 09 and, and, uh, you know, at that point I was, I just kind of felt a, a need to, um, you know, I wanted to give back to the world and do some sort of volunteer trip, do something that, that and, I, and I also wanted to get that experience of being in another country and, um, you know, learn a different language and culture. And um, so, so I was looking at opportunities to do that. And, uh, and that, that's where I came across Peru is a little bit like I knew I wanted to be in a Spanish speaking country because I, I, uh, you know, I took Spanish in high school and a little bit in college, but didn't speak it at all. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's figure this one out. Um, and, uh, and I just wanted to do something where I'm on the ground level and, um, doing some good in the world. And I figured that that was a, the right, there's only so many chapters in life that you can go and, and do that and kind of uproot. Um, and, uh, so it felt like the right timing and moment. Um, and so that was kind of my thinking behind it. You know, I was just going to be in Peru for a year and then come back and, you know, start that next chapter of life. But I ended up. I ended up really getting just integrating the community. And like I said before, I met my, met my wife there and both my kids were born there and, you know, a year turned into over seven, almost eight. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, stayed there for a while. And um, now it's like a second, second home too. Every time we go back and we get lots of, um, yeah, just love it there. Lots of love from the, from, from the Peruvian, uh, our Peruvian family. 
And so once you decided like Peru got on your radar, you know, did you, had you already graduated before you committed or when you graduated, you knew you were moving to Peru? It was shortly, I already graduated, but it was like right after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty shortly after. And when you moved out there, did you go to like Lima, you know, city of, of millions or were you really in the outskirts of it? I was in Arequipa, which um, is now a lot more modernized. But when I was there, um, I left for that trip in um, 09, almost 010. And that's, that was, so the city looked a lot different at that point. Um, but I was working, so I was living in Arequipa, which there is a million people there. Wow. Um, but I was, we were working on the outskirts of the city, which are much more rural. Um, they're in these towns called those, those Pueblos Jovenes, which is basically, it just means young towns in, in English. Um, but what you have there, you have kind of like new populations coming from, uh, coming from the Andes, coming from very rural areas of Peru. And they're, they're getting close to a city to try to find some work because that's where the economy is, but there's no infrastructure there yet. So there's this almost kind of like, there's this whole setup phase that needs to happen and it takes a while to get running water or electricity and it takes a while to to get a school set up or a health clinic or all these kind of basic needs things that kind of it, there's there's this transition phase that's very um really rough on people um so it's those are the areas that we're working in and, and providing some some additional support and I was involved in projects to help build a community center and get a get a library going and do like after after school activities and we did some uh, we did all sorts of stuff you know we, we partnered with the rotary club and got there was a couple of pediatricians there in that club we got doctors out there and um we did campaigns to bring then we went even further up we did did campaigns to get a uh, um warm blanket warm clothing and blankets up to families in the andes mountains like seventeen thousand feet altitude um, where they were really struggling during the winter. Um, so, so yeah, those are some of the things that I was involved in in Peru and, you know, in parallel, uh, competing as a, uh, as a MMA fighter. I'm so glad you brought up the, the folks living in the Andes because, you know, I'm fascinated by Dagestan, for example, right? These, these people live up in the mountains they are incredibly tough. It's remote. And I didn't really think about the Andes in that way, but once I heard that you were, as you mentioned, going up to 17,000 foot where people live and it's so cold in the winter that they can't keep warm. I mean, what kind of folks live up there? Is there electricity? Is there running water? I mean, what is it like up there? Mm, mo- no, no, not running water. There wasn't running water even closer to the city where, where, where when I was working in the outskirts of Arequipa, like people, the basic, some of the basic needs kind of thing, like you could, you know, you might spend half a day getting the water you need for your family. Cause you got to go walk up, uh, you know, you got to go like walk up a mountain to the closest well and then fill up a few buckets and walk back down to your home. Um, and it's even more, so the more rural you get, the farther you got to go kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, no running water there. The families that do the best during the winter, are the ones that have animals and you, you bring in, you know, you bring the alpaca in the house during the winter and no. kind of keeps everyone warm. Yeah. 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 That's how you in the house. Yeah. That's how you get through a winter there for sure. You got to bring the, yeah. It's, um, but what's going on there is mostly there's, um, there's agriculture. There's lots of, um, lots of potato farmers or different kind of, there's like two over 2000 different 
different uh, variants of potatoes in Peru. There's a, I think there's like a, um, I believe there's an international seed bank in Peru for, for potatoes because um, there's the protecting all the different, I don't know, different species or variants from there. Um, and then chuños are like a cousin of that, like another root plant. So there's lots of, you know, lots of um, farming there. Yeah, there's agriculture and livestock. So you're out there doing the Lord's work, helping all these people. And as you mentioned, you're also training MMA. When you first went there, did you know you were going to train MMA? Yeah, I knew. I was I was getting the itch in college a bit. And then I kind of, um, I remember, you know, watching the UFC and thinking like, oh, yeah, I think I can kind of be good at this. And then, so I, I, I was looking for a place to train. You know, I trained some beforehand. And then when I got to Peru, I was, you know, that was one of the things I was kind of, I was looking for just a place where I could work on my skills and, and uh, continue to grow, um, grow as an athlete and learn new things. So was it by happenstance that you ended up being coached by one of the great legends of Peru or is that, how did that link up? So are you, are, you're talking about Ivani Barrico? Yeah. 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 That was, um, well, he ran the biggest event in Peru, one of the biggest in South America, um, on top of being this legendary coach and a really great friend. Um, And also when we talk about just like when we get into what beat the streets is all about and, and the, the mission of really empowering, empowering youth and getting youth on a, on a, on a positive path through, through the sport. Uh, Iban's done a, a lot of great work on that front where he's, you know, he's, I've seen him, you know, I've, I've worked with him to pull kids out of gangs, getting in knife fights and getting them into getting them on the mat and, uh, and changing their lives completely around. So it was uh, the way that I connected with Ivan as I was training in Arequipa that I, when he had his event in Lima, and I, so I, I was there as a, my first two amateur fights were in his event. And then, well, he had like an amateur event and then a pro event. So I connected him as an, you know, when I went there to compete as an athlete. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, he went on to, to support, support me as a coach all the way through, um, all the way through my career. And then as a, as a friend, he was actually, um, he actually came to, uh, he came to visit us at our home pretty, you know, he was here in a little bit outside of Philadelphia, him and his wife, not too, not too long ago. Um, so it was really cool to, to do that. That was awesome. And for folks who don't know who he is, like what's his, uh, like stature and his history in the, in the Peruvian fighting circles? Well, he was the first guy to go. Well, I mean, I don't want to say that there were some really good, there's some, there's some, uh, amazing fighters coming out of Peru. I mean, you have the, the first guy in the, the first Peruvian in the UFC was Tony D'Souza. Um, who was also a coach on the UFC, trained at BJ Penn's camp. Um, what Yvonne, what Yvonne did, um, and it, well, Tony was also living in, uh, he went to Cal Poly, he was living in, in America at that time too. Um, but Yvonne never left the country at that time. Um, and then he was going out to, he was the first guy to start uh, beating all these Brazilians. And nobody in Peru thought that was kind of possible at, the, at that moment in MMA history. Um, so he's kind of, he pushed the line on, on, on what you could do. And then he spread that message across the whole country. He spread, he helped, he helped the Peruvian athletes believe in themselves and coach them on how to get there. And, uh, and really, you know, he has that mindset of just whoever, you know, names don't matter. There was a little bit of the mindset in, at, at when he was coming up of just like, okay, you know, Brazil is this MMA Mecca and Peru's the neighbor there. 
So it was kind of tough for a Peruvian MMA fighter to think about, oh man, what are we going to do against these, you know, just kind of overshadowed by Brazil, but he, he was, he was aggressively trying to defeat that mindset and empower other, other athletes to, to believe in themselves and say like, yeah, you could be a world champion. And he did it as a fighter. And then as a coach, um, he's, he's been, he's been getting proving athletes from like their first day on the mat to the UFC um, at a really fast rate. And I mean, all of the current UFC fighters from Peru have been coached by Ivan. He's, he's been really, um, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's been doing amazing work on that front. And so you meet him at this event and he's like, you got to come train with me. And then you've essentially moved to Lima. Well, I would do, you know, I'd go back and forth for a bit. Um, and, and I would do some, some training camps there before each, each fight. But my wife's also from Lima. So at some point, you know, my wife came and moved with me to Arequipa. Um, and it was, you know, my wife and I and our little daughter, but then eventually we, yeah. Then after, after about three years in Arequipa, we moved to Lima full-time and, and that's where I was training full-time with Yvonne. And I was doing that for the majority of my MMA career. And for, for, and then once I signed with Bellator, I'd be kind of training year round in Peru. And I would also do, but then I would do, I would do eight week, 12 week training camps at Jackson Winks in Albuquerque and train with all these UFC legends there. You know, I was sparring partners with John Jones and doing, you know, training with the, you know, all these, some of world champions, best in the world. And, you know, got in the train with coach Jackson and, and coach wow. wrinkle John. Um, so I would do that before each camp and, and it was, it was tough for me to find sparring partners in Peru being an upper weight. Um, so I would go out. That's what kind of nudged me to first, first make that, that move. So basically my rhythm was kind of, I'd, I'd be, um, helping leading social impact efforts. I'd be training in Peru year round. And then before each major fight, I would do a camp in, in Albuquerque, train with the you know amazing athletes that are there, get ready for a fight. I'd be, you know, living in the gym three times a day and then go compete and then come back home and, you know, spend time with my family and get back to the, to the normal rhythm. That's amazing that you went up to Jackson Wink. And so how would you compare and contrast that training environment versus the one you had in Peru? Because you were training with a bunch of dudes who would go on to the UFC in Peru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were, they were really um they're yeah they're they're getting it right i think uh the big difference for me was just the amount of sparring partners Mm -hmm. that were my size was kind of where i where i needed to change there um but uh but yeah i'd say i mean you know really just all around amazing coaches on both fronts and i'm so grateful for my experience um you know with my 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 family and teammates in Peru and my coach Yvonne and I'm so grateful for my experience with 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 Coach Greg and Coach Wink and all of all of my teammates over at, at Jackson Winks and I really kind of like you know built another family there too at one point I was thinking about moving there wow. um, and uh, really good people so overall I mean it kind of goes with that message like I always when I reflect on my journey through combat sports and before that through wrestling. I always think like, yeah, no matter where in the world, wherever I find a mat, I find a home, a community, great group of people that it doesn't matter where you come from. You know, I mean, at at any a lot of these locations, you got people coming from like 
20 different countries, all sorts of different backgrounds, might not feel like there's all that much in common, way different cultures, but you get on the mat and it's just this big connector and you have that sense of just like, yeah, you're home. You know, everyone's, everyone's just trying to, trying to help each other and help each other grow and get better. And, and, uh, and there's that, that sense of support, that sense of family, sense of community. Uh, I think that's one of the things that is just really special about this sport. You know, it's really special about the sport of wrestling. And I, I continue to feel that, feel that, that feeling through combat sports. And, uh, and it's something really special about what we do at beat the streets uh, because that when we're talking about just, you know, working, working with the youth that we work with across, across the country and from some, you know, you know, not everyone, but some, some are coming from some really tough situations and we're in, we're in very underserved communities. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's powerful for anyone, but I think it's part of what makes beat the street so impactful that, that we're, we're able to, to cultivate and grow that sense of community, sense of family that you find on the map. Yeah. It's, it's cool. You've seen that even in countries where like Peru, it's not really a wrestling stronghold, more of a Lucha Libre, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but even, you know, it's kind of like a grappling thing that bonds people. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like, you got to go through, you got to, you know, you got to go through adversity together. You got to look after each other's team. It's like that, that, that culture is, is a, it's a bonding culture. There aren't that many sports where you could say, I mean, all my, you know, my best friends, you know, my best friends from wrestling, like I'm, I keep it, I keep in touch with all of them. Yeah. And, and, uh, there aren't that many sports where you, where you see that. I think it's the, um, I, yeah, it's, you know, what's the special sauce there. I think it's like some of the, what you just, that, that experience you got to go through together really, you know, when you're, if you go through some adversity together, it brings, you know, you learn more about yourself and you grow closer to the people around you. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what, what, what happens through, through our journeys on the map. And, you know, talking about Peru in a little bit more detail. So, you know, you mentioned Brazil, huge rivals. And I don't know if rivals is the best word because it's, there was such a level of awe to the Brazilians just from everything you've said and in, in this interview and past interviews. But I found it interesting that, you know, jujitsu is associated with Brazil, but in Peru, they were they were doing a form of no gi kind of grappling. What was that called, and how does it compare to uh, jujitsu? It's called luta livre, which is also from Brazil. There was a big rivalry between luta livre and and jujitsu within Brazil. Um, and then the reason why luta livre is so so popular in Peru is because that's what um, that's what my coach Ivan was was trained in, and he brought it to Peru. And he's the, you know, the, the president of the National Federation for Luta Libre in Peru. And he's really kind of helped that, that grow. But it's, it's no gi submission grappling. At one point, um, before, at one point, there was more, there was, uh, there was much bigger differences between the techniques when it kind of first started. Um, but now that there's no, no gi jiu-jitsu, the, you know, that was a big difference right there. Just like one, there was, you know, there was a certain kind of, you, there was, from what I understand, from what you know, just from what Ivan would tell me, and like from reading up on it a bit, there was there was that a bit of a social rivalry because you know to get to to train in jujitsu you needed to buy a gi, which is expensive, um, and uh, but to train in luta livre you don't, you just show up however you are, you get a pair of shorts, you don't need a shirt, you whatever kind of you know you just show up, and uh, 
So, so there was that kind of social rivalry of like what it, the barrier to entry and what it needs to, what, you, you know, what kind of, um, you know, if you, what kind of economic capacity you need to participate in the sport. Um, so there was that. And then, uh, and then some of the, the, the techniques, like there was uh, the lute real, um, lots of, lots of like chokes from the front headlock position and lots of like really good for wrestlers for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I picked up on it right away. I really like that, that style of submission grappling. Um, but yeah, the rivalries really started in Peru, in uh, Brazil on that. Um, and, uh, and then Yvonne just being coming from that discipline really spread it throughout Peru. And then me, um, training with Yvonne, that's what, you know, that's, that's what I came up with and, and learned, um, you know, just training through MMA and, and it made a lot of sense. I mean, for, for MMA, you kind of want to focus on the no gi stuff, right? That's just, that's what it is. Um, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Something as commonplace as a gi is a, is a separator of social classes in some countries. It is. Yeah, it is. I think I still always have this feeling of like, I don't know if I'll really, I don't feel like I fully understand everything that was behind the, everything around the rivalry, you know, like, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think I have like a full understanding or grasp around it, but I just, I know that that's, that's kind of how it was explained to me. And, um, but for, from my perspective, I just, you know, I just really enjoyed training with my team and coach and, and I, and I, and I learned a lot of great techniques through the, through the Luta Libre discipline and, um, and it helped me a lot in my MMA career. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that's, you know, I think you got to kind of go back. You got to interview some of the people involved in it to really get a deeper, deeper sense of what that was all about. That would be fascinating. Wouldn't that to go back and understand kind of the early breakoffs, because even like in the eighties and nineties within jujitsu communities, no gi was you know shunned. It was disgraceful you know even leg locks at the beginning weren't weren't super popular and uh so it's really changed a lot jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. has and so in peru are there lucha libre only tournaments just like we have wrestling tournaments do they have that as well yeah yeah all the time wow yeah yeah they do a big national tournament i've let's see here i've, I've reffed a few i wasn't i didn't compete in any because at that time i was like all in an mma mm-hmm. um but uh but it was cool. You know what? I'm, you're bringing back some memories. I ref. I or no, you know what? I was handing the. I was like an honored kind of guest to hand out the medals and the trophies. And one of the, and it was um, one of the young kids who won at that time it was Claudio Pais, who's in the UFC now. And uh, you know, I helped coach. Was been Raleigh helped a lot too. He was there. Wow. Um, but I remember kind of like you know giving him his medal um, at a Luta Libre national tournament and. You know, now he's he's uh, really successful in the UFC and doing doing great. So, is grappling? Would you say like the second most popular sport behind soccer? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd say soccer is way more popular than anything else. By a so long a second, shot, huh? yeah, by like a big long shot. So, <clears throat> you know, if it were to be second, it's like there's a huge difference between first and second. <laughs> um, but. Uh, I would say uh, it did get some pretty good support nationally. Like, you know, when, when I was competing, we would get, uh, you know, I'd, um, I'd be on national TV a pretty decent amount and do these kind of, you know, get interviewed before fight or, or do, uh, um, do these game shows like these gladiator challenge type things or, um, but yeah, it was, 
it was well i don't know you know women's volleyball is pretty popular too so mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say like a definite second but but it was a lot more than you'd think you know it had a, it definitely has a big following and and there's there's a there's a good amount of people that that are um fans of the sport and support the you know and, and like to see the sport for sure well, and you and your your teammates were a big part of that kind of quote unquote making history. I know that was a model of your coach to, to kind of change the perception of you know, Peru, you know, fighters from Peru in terms of what they could do and how far they could make it. And so even though you were an American, you were you know kind of an adopted Peruvian. And as Raleigh says, you can't go down the street without signing signatures. So I think that's that's amazing that you kind of helped amplify the the grappling story there in Peru with a, with a lot of the guys on your team. Yeah, I feel really grateful to just be at the, to be a part of that. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and, and yeah, being that, you know, being present for that, that, that moment in MMA history. And, um, and yeah, like I was saying before, yeah, what Riley saying, you know, kind of, um, I definitely feel love and support from, from, from all the people in Peru. So I, I love going back and mm-hmm. get, it's uh it's a cool experience for sure. I bet. Now you wrestled 285 in college, but you fought middleweight. What was the weight loss secret? How did that happen? Oh man, I gotta figure out how to try to implement that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, what what'd you weigh in college yeah. when you were wrestling? Because I think I watched a dual meet with you guys. Uh, must have been your senior year, maybe. But like, what were you like a full 285 or? That was pretty close, 270 maybe. Yeah, wow. and I got up to I got up to I got up to definitely 285 or over. Um, and then I dropped down to middleweight. Yeah. What was your walking around weight when you were fighting middleweight? Um, well, I'd say when I was getting it. So if I'm two months out from a fight before starting fight camp, um, if I'm under 220, I feel like, okay, (laughs) things are under control. Um, so I, I would try to keep myself under 220. Uh, but, uh, you know, that wasn't every fight camp. There was times where I'm like starting heavy and it was just a lot more work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'd say walking around. Yeah. That, that would be a good walking around weight for me is just uh, two, 15, 17, right around there. Um, that's like on target where, where I feel like, okay, I can go and make this weight cut. <laughs> so was that a conscious decision to go to, to middleweight or, did you ever consider just fighting heavyweights since that's what you were used to? I have a couple, I have heavyweight fights. Um, I have light heavyweight fights and I have middleweight fights, but I would say I'm just a bunch better. I'm a better athlete for myself at, at middleweight, maybe light heavyweight. You know, I wasn't, a, I was never a good 285. Like my frame isn't big enough for that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, um, I feel like it helped being a heavyweight at some point, just like for the, the strength that I, that I gained through doing that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think like fighting weight, you know, you gotta be, it's a, it's a big endurance challenge too, right? You're talking like 15 minutes or 25 minutes in a, in a title fight. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, you know, it could get pretty intense. And then for a fighter like me too, like I was kind of a, more of a strength fighter. I needed, I probably needed to relax more to conserve energy, but, uh, you know, those, yeah, those 15 minutes could feel like a really long time in the cage. Um, <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, I feel like 185, my just endurance to was, was better. 
so that was the that was the reason why you went down. And you know, you you had a lot of fights in Peru. Eventually, made it to Bellator. How much has Bellator changed since when you were there to now, or is it a pretty similar organization? That's a good question. Well, I wouldn't really know the kind of behind the scenes. You know, um, it's 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 been steadily growing. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a it's bigger platform, bigger organization than than when I was competing, but I was on the, you know, I was competing at the time where it was on the rise for sure. And already established to, to a pretty certain level. So, um, you know, I was there during the changeover from, uh, their changeover in leadership at, uh, Bjorn Remney started it. And then Scott Coker, who's the, who started strike force took over as the president of Bellator. So I was kind of, I was there for that changeover. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's steadily growing. The sport's growing overall. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, you know, I think that's, that's, it's, uh, it's nice to see I'm, you know, I'm more of a, a fan of the sport now, but I like to yeah. continue to see just opportunities for, for those athletes to, uh, go after their dreams and goals. Yeah. It seems like it's Bellator just continued to do a great job and just growing like crazy. I would say they love signing wrestlers and, uh, you were in the, you know, really in the thick of it, 2016 era maybe a little before, a little after. And I know you fought since then, but um, just looking back at the Bellator fights on SureDog, it looked like that was the era. And just want to get your thoughts on it, you know, mainly how it had grown and changed over the years. Once you had decided to move back to U- the United States, how did you move into the beat the streets role? Yeah, that felt like destined. I really feel like I was so grateful for that opportunity. You know, my whole life, um, you know, beat, I followed beat the streets from afar, just, you know, coming from the wrestling world, knowing what the mission and soul of the organization is, you know, using the sport of wrestling to positively alter life's trajectory for, for, for youth that, that need us. And it's, it's, um, so it's something that I kind of, you know, always wanted to get involved in really, you know, even, but, I, you know, being from, I was living in, in South America and, and, and knowing what's going on in the organization. So when there was, when they were hiring for Beat the Streets Philly, it it was also at the moment where, you know, my wife and I were talking for, I guess, a couple of years prior to that. I was just, you know, getting getting our kids over here to the States and, and starting the next chapter of life here. And uh, and and I was starting to kind of feel with with MMA. I'm like, OK, you know, this is this is this is great, but it's not going to last forever. And I kind of want to, you know, that's where my main earnings were coming from. And I wanted to. Um, you know, I felt like it was time for that next chapter of life, um, not necessarily stop competing, but definitely kind of transition to the next chapter. And, and then Beat Streets Philly was hiring and and it felt like it was just meant to be because that's an organization that I feel like just combines everything that I'm passionate about and stand for as a as a person. And and uh, I just feel so honored and grateful to be a part of that team and helping helping move that mission forward and, and, uh, and expand beat the streets programs across the country. Now with this new role at national and before that, with just with connected with all the youth and beat the streets, Philly, there's just such inspirational kids coming through that program, inspirational leaders, coaches, and all, you know, just really, um, tremendous experience. And, uh, it's so, yeah, I guess when, when this, the stars kind of aligned on that front where it made sense with, what my wife and I were thinking for a family and it made sense for just 
what uh um just everything I kind of believe in. Like it just felt like that perfect opportunity. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to join that team. I want to be, I want to, that's something I could really dedicate myself to for a long time. Um, and that's how I still feel. You know, I still, I started with, I started with Beat the Streets Philly in 2017. Um, and then just, just recently, you know, in my first month really with, with Beat the Streets National and, and, uh, and I envision myself in this role for a really long time and just want to help Beat the Streets grow across the country. And then, and then eventually across the world. I can't think of a better person to be in the role. I mean, you've been involved in these kind of social impact projects really your whole life. If you go back to even in college, you were doing the big brother, big sister. So amazing, excuse me, that you're in this role. What is Beat the Streets National? Yeah, it's, it's, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So, so Beat Beat the Streets National, it's the, it's a, national network of all of the beat the streets chapter organizations and there's there's a there's nine accredited two in process right now so really like 11 beat the streets organizations um that are serving 37 cities and we're counting the the smaller surrounding cities as well Mm -hmm. uh, across the entire country and and collectively we're serving over 8,400 youth right we're we're bringing we're bringing wrestling programs into into inner cities and into into under-resourced communities, um, we're 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 growing girls wrestling. We are we're using the sport as a vehicle to empower and transform lives. So that, that's what's really special about this organization, right? It's like it's it's a lot of what you know what what your podcast is is all about. You're tapping into those you're you're tapping into those life lessons that exist in the sport and how it changed. You know how wrestling changed my life. Well, that's that's what beat the streets is all about. It's like, how do we intentionally connect those dots mm-hmm. for, for, for our youth and realize, Hey, if you can, you can get through this tough practice, you can go and you can stick with the sport. You're going to learn how to overcome adversity. You're going to learn how to navigate challenges. You're going to learn how to bounce back from failures. You're going to learn how to wrestle through life. And you're going to take those lessons and you're going to go and, and, and do amazing things with your life. You know, what are, what are your goals? And, and we're going to, you know, this is going to help you get to your goals. And not only that, you're going to have a, a sense of community and family and people to support you and, 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 and be there along with you in that journey to get to those goals. So, so that's, it's really about how, how this sport serves as a, a vehicle for youth development. And, uh, and it's, it's exciting. It's working. You know, we have, we have, our, you know, beat the streets kids are, are much more likely to, to graduate high school than their peers or they're, they're more likely to enroll in post-secondary education, right? They're doing, they're doing, they're doing better. They have that sense of family and community. They're, they're healthier. They're, all these positive outcomes are happening. So we're doing really, um, really important work. And the sport of wrestling combined with, with that mentorship that you get from coaches and mentors that are volunteering really is, is the, the vehicle to, to achieve that, that impact. And, uh, and the youth themselves, like we just have such inspirational youth in this program. And, and the, the only reason it works is because, you know, they, they're, they're, they're giving, they're, they're doing their part, you know, they're, they're showing up, they're sticking with it. They're going and, and, and really, you know, doing all that hard work to overcome what some, some sometimes really difficult situations that they want to do an amazing things with their life. So, so I get, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I get inspired by the mission every time I think about it and I get inspired by, by the youth that, that exists in our organization. Every time I, I think about just the, you know, the, the kids that we serve and, you know, I only know, we're talking about on the national level, you know, I mean, I know a lot of, 
you know, I know a lot of our kids, but like, there's so many that I don't know and everyone has their story that, and, and it's, it's really um, amazing to, to think about. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it is, I mean, and think about this. Everyone knows how powerful wrestling is. And a lot of times, as I've heard the great Mike Powell mention, you know, a lot of after school youth programs, they play ping pong, they get pizza and they go home and they don't have that like common experience of suffering through a practice together. And so that's the, the beautiful thing about uh, obviously beat the streets is that it, it connects people through like the pain everyone goes through at a workout. And then at the end you can all reflect and, you know, crack jokes on it, you know? Oh, it's a total bonding experience. Yeah. And then, and also something to think about too, like, uh, so I'm all for, you know, as just like a nonprofit professional in the space and like a youth, to, you know, I'm all for anything that, that helps youth get passionate about something and work towards goals and have those, you know, I think that that can come in different forms, you know, and I, but I also think there's really something special about what we're doing because, because when you're trying to reach the, the, I, I think the, I think it speaks to, to maybe some of, you know, it's it just that adversity aspect. I think it speaks to some of the hardest to reach youth sometimes and you need something tough, like, like the sport of wrestling um, to really make that impact. And you know, it's something, it's something I've seen internationally too. Like my time in Peru with, with Yvonne, it's like, okay, are you going to be able to, are you going to be able to pull a kid out of a gang and get them to play ping pong and get passionate about that? You right. know, or, or, or if you're going to, are you going to be able to get them, you know, get that, get that kid on the mat and, and is that going to speak to them more? So I don't know, that's kind of anecdotally, but, but I feel like there's something, something really special about, about what we're doing on the, um, as a youth development organization. No, the no, no question. I think that the main thing is when will we see beat the streets, Lima, Peru? Is that, is that, will there be a day when that's rolled out? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I'd say, uh, if I stay in, if I'm in this position for long enough, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, you know, we set some visionary goals, uh, that line up with the 2028 Olympics. And it's really, we're going after aggressive growth uh, in this next chapter. And we wanna, we wanna grow girls wrestling by 280% by the 2020 Olympics. And we wanna get to 28 new cities by the 2020 Olympics, wow. which are gonna be in Los Angeles. And you know we have a, a really amazing Beat the Streets chapter in Los Angeles led by Yaru Washington and Andy Barth. Yeah. And, um, and, and the idea is we could, you know, hit those goals and then celebrate those goals together, get beat the streets, kids, leaders, coaches from across the country to be there present for that Olympics, celebrating, getting to 28 new cities. Um, so I'd say I'd say this initial chapter right now, mostly focused on let's get this let's get this beat the streets to every major city across the country. Mm -hmm. And when we accomplish that or we're close to accomplishing that. I, in my mind, I'm like, well, let's get this, let's get beat the streets to every, every major city across the world, because what we're doing is working and there's a lot more kids out there that need us. So it's our responsibility to, you know, grow, you know, not at the, not at the seat, you know, we always gotta need to make sure that we're growing intelligently and thoughtfully about each one so that we're, we could really follow through on that promise. Um, but I, I think, you know, with that thoughtful approach, we there's a there's a lot more growth that, that should be happening because there's because we're, we're as much as you know we're doing an amazing job already up to this point um and 
is serving 8,400 youth every year. There's a lot more youth across the world that need us. Um, so I, I'd love to see us meet that need. I mean, it's so exciting to see, to know that you guys have those goals mapped out and be able to see you, you know, grow over the next couple of years. It's, uh, it's been amazing. I mean, growing up, you kind of always heard about Beat the Streets, but thought it was like a New York only deal just because they did such a phenomenal job with everything they were doing. But now, I mean, every, like you mentioned, LA, Philly, Chicago, really springing up. I know Cleveland's putting a lot of work in right now. Um, <clears throat> just amazing. Last question for you is if folks want to support, <clears throat> you know, in, in the way of like volunteerism or donations, should they contact Beat the Streets National, or go to their local chapters? How does that work? Well, both really, you know, I think we're, we're looking for, we, we'd love to see the wrestling community, you know, rally behind, support your local, support your local efforts in your local city, and then also support this national movement, right? Because at national, we're thinking about how do we, how do we, strengthen existing chapters and scale this across the country. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, I'd really encourage supporters. If you have a beat the streets in your local community, like absolutely get plugged in. That's where, that's where you have an opportunity to get plugged in on the ground level too, right? Like, you know, go and meet some of the youth involved, meet some of the coaches involved, meet the leadership, you know, and, and then at the national level too, like, you know, you can come in and you can be a part of this big movement that is on the rise right now that we're looking to get beat the streets organizations across the entire country. And I think there's a really, um, you know, me as a support. So I, you know, I, per, I support both, right. I support, I support beat the streets, Philly. I support beat the streets national, um, you know, with my time and, and also donations and just like, cause I, cause I believe in, I believe in both. And I want to be a part of the journey on, 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 on both sides. I want to be part of that local support. And I want to be part of that, that national movement. Um, and so I think that speaks to, to, you know, I love the wrestling community to kind of rally behind behind that 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 message because um, there's there's so much that we can do together. Yeah. Well, again, just very excited you guys are in the position you're in, and we look forward to beat the streets. Just amazing us each and every year. Um, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to, to beat the streets national, and then beat the streets Chicago. You know, we're we're a big Chicago podcast here, but love love wrestlers worldwide. I I was just thinking as you were talking, like. Beat the streets, Dagestan. I mean, amazing, right? That would be so cool. Um, oh yeah. And I know they they pretty much are already doing that, you know, with everything, you know, those clubs over there. But yeah, just a lot of excitement, and I really appreciate your time coming on the show. I always enjoy talking to the Penn alum. It's it's awesome to see uh, just the wrestling community in Philly so strong. So thanks again for coming on the show, Ben. We appreciate it. Oh, it's just an, it's an honor to be here with you, Ryan. And thank you for thank you for inviting me and and. Uh, um, yeah, really, uh, really happy. We had this time together and, um, thank you to everyone who's listening and, um, and, and, and for this opportunity to, to talk about, you know, we dove into my, my personal story a bit, but I really am glad that we, we were able to spread the message of beat the streets because it's making such a big difference in the world. And, uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you. To, thank you, Ryan. Thank you everyone that's listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life to see video clips from this interview please go to Instagram at Wrestling Change My Life. This episode was proudly presented by Spartan Combat. The Spartan Combat Nationals are returning to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th, 2022. Register now at SpartanCombat.com.